Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. This will do. Should we come in here? Should we jump in here? Let's jump in Let's here. Let's jump in. The water's fine. The water is fine. Thank you to the scientists. Yes, I have got thumbs up. Yes. I am excited to be here because Matt's here. I'm here. Cam's uh, here. We're here. And you're here too. Hi. What you doing? It's Sunday. It's a, it's a grey Sunday. It's gloomy as all hell, isn't it's, it? It's, there's no natural light here in East Brunswick at all. It's we have, um, in the studio spaces, uh, we have um, sort of an atrium, I suppose you'd call mm. it, with, with windows. Yes. Um, and it's... You sort of get used to a certain level of light, but yeah, it's gone grey. So Not today. I hope your day is is a happy kind of blue sky kind of day, even though it might be grey. And when you know, mm. and we're delighted to see that you've decided to join sometime with mm. us here in the afternoon triple R. Thank you to the scientists and all the people in the morning. Yes, we saw Kent just panel beta Kent just stroll out of the studio as we. Came on in. Tim Thorpe kept coming into the studio as he does. He's floating around still, Tim. Yeah, he's around somewhere. Pottering about. Yes. No, but good on you, Tim. And uh, today's show, we, um, we've we got some good stuff for you today, I think. Have you ever contemplated, Matt, the, the texture of food and, and what sort of textures you might sort of lean towards? Like, are you a you a crunchy guy or a, or a <laughs> you know, sort of unctuous caramelly type or... Look, I reckon I'd call myself both of those sorts of guys. You go both ways. I can go unctuous. I can go. I can go crunch. What about you? Well, I'm probably a little bit the same. Um, I'm, I'll have to think about what my preferences are. But um, someone who has been thinking a lot about this is Professor Russell Keast. Mm-hmm. We've had him on before. He's yes. uh, the Deacon Director. Are you ready for, of this? Mm. The Deacon Director of University Centre for Advanced Sensory Science, Ooh. or CAS. Uh-huh. That's a uh, FLA. Full letter. <laughs> Full letter. Like a, like a, <laughs> FLA. <laughs> to think that. I can see, yeah. see your brain cogs oh, yeah. wearing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but he's going to be talking about our oral cavities and greater understanding of the textual qualities and mouth behaviours that are driving our food preferences. Mm. Pretty weighty stuff. <laughs> it is pretty weighty stuff, uh, isn't it? Hey. Uh, uh. <laughs> Wish the scientists were still there. We go, yeah, we can do this too. We can do cerebral. We've got the, we've got the professor in it. So anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about um, textures and, and what that sort of means for nutrition as well. Mm. And also, how do we perceive texture in our mouth? Mm. Stay tuned. John awaits us at the market. Yes. He's breaking in a couple of new people or one new person. We have a little bit of a laugh about that. A few folks at the market taking the long weekend by the looks. A few stalls that just weren't open. Yes. Yeah, the, the old Louis store was uh, was open, but we did have a chat to John and uh, we find out what's happening sort of over there. Mm-hmm. More importantly, we find out what John's having for dinner. <laughs> Hint, it's pasta. Right. Uh, and you know how for a long, long time we mm-hmm. talked to our old buddies, Matt and Vanessa. Yes, from, from Melbourne City Rooftop Honey. That's it. And a big day to you guys out there. Yep. And um, I was sort of thinking the fact that since the advent of this urban honey, mm. we haven't really talked to anybody from a honey company for a long time. From a more traditional sort of beekeeping in, background. In the field, 
mm. follow the blossom mm-hmm. type of gig. So you found one. You found someone to talk to. Have we ever? Um, yes, we've got Jodie Goldsworthy who joins us from Beechworth. Yes, uh, from Beechworth Honey Headquarters. Nice part of the world, Beechworth. If you've not been there, not bad. Good restaurant there. I've heard yeah. too. Provenance, is Provenance, excellent. yes. Provenance. And there's a f- Provenance. few other uh, equally good casual diners too. Yes. Uh, so anyway, that is what is on the show. So uh, yes, the oral cavities market, and then we sweeten it up. We've uh, an incredible food when you think of honey. Yes, because honey is one of the few things that reflects. Um, first of all, food that's made by insects. Mm-hmm. But secondly, and more importantly, it's the thing that reflects the terroir or the area or the blossom around it. Mm. And I don't know if you know it, but honey comes in an absolute kaleidoscope of colours and flavours and textures too. I remember the first time we actually had um, Vanessa and Matt in from Melbourne City Rooftop Honey and they lined up, I think they had sort of 15 different types. And you're right, I got a photo of it. And mm. the different hues, the different golden colours, it was... Quite remarkable, the spectrum of it. And taste too, because I remember yep. this is, I think, Fitzroy from memory. Mm-hmm. This tastes like peppermint. Mm. So um, we'll just sort of sort of talk a little bit about that. But before we do that, mm. what's, what's that in your mouth? mouth? Hey, nice. We're getting good at this. Um, it, well, this is a time where we reflect. We look back on the week and see well, what was great. What is that in your mouth? From an old factory and taste sort of thing. I went to Bar Saracen. Yes, in the city. Dropped in. Mm. Saw um, the incredible Ari, who's the mm. uh, front of house person. Uh, Bar Saracen is in Punchland, off Little Burke Street, in that very interesting little precinct that is developing in the eastern part of Little Burke Street, mm-hmm. away from the lanterns. Yes. Away from the red paint, mm. it should be said. Mm-hmm. Um, Bar Saracen, Lebanese food. Mm. Uh, they do a dish there I recommend. Hummus. But wait, there's more. It's <laughs> <laughs> just pregnant pause. But wait, there's more. No, it's like a moat of hummus, the, yeah. the most creamiest, beautiful hummus you've ever seen, flecked with these little stripes of paprika, mm. right? Inside this moat, mm. right, is not a castle. No. It's something better and more edible. <laughs> it's a mixture of prawns, spanner crab, spooky Middle Eastern spices, so, uh, you know, your cinnamon Because I wouldn't normally think of putting prawns and or crab with hummus. That's what's crazy keep about going. it. <laughs> keep going. Oh, my God. <laughs> Innovators. I know. That's why they pay this guy the big bucks. Yeah. That's why you're not the chef there, man. That's true. There's many reasons why I'm Spanner not the chef. Spanner crab and prawn. Anyway, but with spooky flavours, yeah. butter to give it sort of this unctuous sort of... Aleppo pepper to give it a little bit of lift. And then a whole bunch of coriander and things, and it is one of the most delicious things Mm. ever. Mm. (sighs) Sounds good. It is good. So that's my what's it? You you've declined. No, I was as you're going to say very briefly. We did pop out to Pure South Dining in Southgate last night, and the food was amazing. But what was really weird about it is because it like it was. This isn't a food thing, is it? It's not. It's more observational because it is like you know Flemington Day. Every two to three minutes. The Flemington what? The, the, the Flemington Festival of Suffering, I think I called it. Suffering and Pain. Yes. Yes, nice. Um, so every two or three minutes, mm. uh, a helicopter comes past. And those things are loud. Like, they are conversation-stoppingly loud. Mm. Um, and, they, and they come along that sort of from east to west, just fly along the Yarra to get into that one heliport. There's, there's one little heliport and there's, and there's only one approach. And yeah. because it was, sort of, it was sort of twilight and so that's when everyone's coming back, from the races, and it's just every two or three minutes. It was. Um, it's not the restaurant's fault, of course. And you were also mentioning in a 
devilish sort of way. <laughs> the casualties of the races that you witnessed. We were sort of perched. The with, blistered feet. With a great view the of that. The staggering. Sorry, go on. We were perched with a great view of that pedestrian bridge. And yes. so every three or four minutes there'd be another wave coming from Flinders Street Station of um, some people still in good condition. Yes. Others perhaps a little worse for wear. Cactus. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. It's Schadenfreude, isn't it? <laughs> Had a bit too much to drink, have you? And the food was great too, so let me not dwell too much on the patrons of Flemington. Yes, even though that was kind of fun, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was. <laughs> uh, yeah, Pure South, in case you're wondering, uh, Phil Kennedy's place, David Hall's the chef, Scott. Yes. He's a Scott. Highlights Tasmanian cuisine, oh, food, I should say. Boom. really cuisine, it's just yeah, that's Tasmanian ingredients. Uh, okay, before we move on, yeah, <clears throat> uh, we were going to do the story about sriracha and meth. Do you want some meth in your sriracha bottles? Someone ships a meth in sriracha. Yeah. And they got caught. They got caught. They're going to do time for their hot sauce. I think it was like three, three, 30 million, 300 million. Like it's a lot. Right? Just a lot. Anyway, in 1978, the largest squid ever caught was taken in <laughs> Thimble Tickle Bay. I'll repeat that. <laughs> Thimble Tickle Bay largest in squid. Newfoundland. Mm. It was 55 feet long and weighed two tons. Holy hell. And it took them about three weeks to construct a deep fryer to um, do the salt and pepper calamari. <laughs> How do you net yourself a two-ton squid? That's a good question. I mean, like, you'd, it's, I mean, he's not just fishing with a line, presumably. You'd need... You'd need you wouldn't want... Imagine the hand line. It'd sort of cut into the hands a bit, <laughs> wouldn't it? It sort of would. And, <sighs> you know, I wonder if it was fighting a sperm whale at the time. Mm. Because you see the squids in the mortal mm. combat. Anyway, okay. So that's that. And um, in 1995, yeah. the Soup Nazi first appears on Seinfeld, which um, launched um, that great saying, no more soup for you. No yeah, soup for you. I, I did a little bit of research just because you mentioned that. Research. Because uh, the Soup Nazi was based on a real person and it didn't end well. To be honest, really, so the character. I'm just what was the off, guy's name? Reading of Wikipedia here, the character was inspired by Al Yegane. Al Yegane, a Persian soup vendor who ran Soup Kitchen International in New York City. Uh, he stated on numerous occasions he's very offended by the soup Nazi <laughs> moniker. And then, according to one of the didn't Seinfeld, he get more business from him? I mean, you think it would have been good well, for yeah, business? Maybe he should play up to it. But yeah. apparently, um, according to one of the writers, some of the Seinfeld team after that episode aired went to the Soup Kitchen International. Oh, good idea. Yeah. Upon recognizing Seinfeld, Yegana went into a profanity-filled rant about how the show had ruined his business and demanded an apology. Yes. Seinfeld allegedly gave what Ferenson describes as the most insincere, sarcastic apology ever given. That would seem about right. And having seen the episode, Yegana. Then bellowed, "No soup for you!" and ejected them from the restaurant. Awesome! Life imitating art, imitating life. And what was his name again? I've just closed the bar. Oh, okay. The, anyway, he got Al Yegana, I think his name. He got the last laugh, or we could say the last ladle. <laughs> yes. Twelve, twelve. Here on Three Triple R FM, uh, we're going to be back with the professor, mm. the professor Russell Keast from Deakin. We're going to be talking about your oral cavity. You are listening to 3 Triple R FM. Edith is the name of the show. My name is Cam Smith. Across from me, I have. I'm Matt Stebbin. Hello, hey, everyone. Hey, Matt. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Okay, yeah. good. Um, also, in the studio, we are delighted to welcome back uh, Professor Russell Keast, uh, Deacon Director of University Centre for Advanced Sensory Science, or CAS, an Hi. FLA, we were saying. Thanks. Hi, Kurt. Hi, Cam. Hi, Matt. How you doing? Yeah, very good. Very You're excited. Good. You're going out for lunch. I know. I'm very hungry. <laughs> yeah. Very excited. 
Good, good, good. Okay, well, look, we won't keep you for too long, but delighted that you're able to come in. We have had you um, on the show before because you have had this interest in sensory perception, the way that we perceive um, uh, taste, flavour in foods, and, oh, my God, you've done it again. And we're here to talk about the oral cavity, which I just love saying for some reason because I'm a child (laughs) at heart, Um, but also the way that we perceive food textures. Excellent. Yeah, look, the the oral cavity is obviously, you know, one of the really important um, organs of the body in terms of food consumption. So the more we know about it, the better. We've been concentrating on it for a few years now. (laughs) Yeah. But um, it's a matter of – it's not a matter of taste – but um, to misquote Brilliard Savarin, the man who wrote Physiology of Taste, yes. uh, show me how you chew and I'll tell you who you are. I like it. Hey. That is a nice misquote. Nice misquote? Nice misquote. Thank you. Uh, Brilliard Savarin said, show me what you eat and I'll tell you who you are. But how did you tell me about this and what was the inspiration for it? So we, one thing is we know texture is really important in terms of the quality of a food you know yes. we, we can use things like smell and sight to to judge safety and, and mm. those types of things but um, once we've actually got it in the oral cavity mm. it determines a, a lot of the quality of a food so you think of a steak you know and, oh, and you okay. cut into yes. the steak you, you yeah. start to chew it you have a perception because your, your brain is, is setting up this perception to say this steak should be juicy. It should have a certain amount of give. That's right. Yes. And and if if it doesn't meet that expectation, all of a sudden the quality of it's diminished. So it's so like a soggy twisty. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So, soggy soggy chips. You well. know that they're, they're just the flavour may be okay. You know it's it's hitting all of the right flavour. But if the texture's not not there, then um, unfortunately, the quality is so. So it's really important. One in terms of just you know home cooks to get the texture right, but also the food industry in terms of ensuring that they're meeting the expectations of of whoever's purchasing the foods. Mm. Um, and, and this goes back to how little we know about you know what what are the processes that the, the biology, let's say that that's or physiology that's underpinning that's how we the experience weird thing. it. You're saying it hasn't really been studied that much. No. How do we perceive texture in our mouth? There are three different areas that we use. Um, so most of what we know is inferred from um, fingertips. So a lot of work's been done in terms of mechanoreceptors, which we, we call the, the receptor processes, on the fingers, you know, things like braille and, and how we touch surfaces. So it's it's derived from that. And we've, we've said, okay, if it's happening on the fingers, it's going to happen in the oral cavity. But we've got three different um, uh Epithelial surfaces in the oral cavity, Whoa. which makes it more complex. Do yeah. that again. Do that. That's Epi- right. Epithelial surfaces. That's, yeah. <laughs> All right. We've got three different Scrabble, skin surfaces. Triple word score. That's, yeah. Okay. That's right. Yes. I'll, I'll stop that. Now. No, no, no. no. We, we love it. So you have three, and what yes. are they? Uh, so we've got the lingual epithelium, which is which is pretty much the tongue area. We've got the hard lingo, palate. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is the top the, or the roof of the mouth, and we've got something called the gingiva, which is between the teeth and the the lip. Because so you feel that if you're biting into an apple, you're that's, you're going to feel that between the gums. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. Uh, 
but but all of these skin surfaces are different and therefore they're reacting differently and and yet mm. if we think of you know 99% of our body is really just a, a single skin surface and we're extrapolating what's happening on the fingers from from this common skin the, the surface the big old epidermal yeah that's right yeah. to to the to the oral cavity um, obviously a lot of it's going to be right but we don't know that mm. and and in fact it even gets down to the point where we know that we've got four different mechanoreceptors. But in the oral cavity, we've only found three of those mechanoreceptors. The lips, the lips they might just tell you heat. That's about it, isn't it? Yeah, um, or we'll also chemical, if we put capsaicin on the lip, it or should still get through. Salt as you salt. feel on the lips. You can feel that. And, and vinegar a bit. That's right. So, But those are the um, chemical... Um, uh, oh, this is, this is a chemical texture. receptor rather than uh, a completely textural thing, That's which you're exactly looking at. Right. Got it. I got the difference. Yep. Yeah. So um, within the system, there's both the mechanical receptors or the uh, mechanoreceptors, and there's also things like the pain receptor and temperature receptors, which are both also chemical receptors as well as. Which is sort of saying, stop chewing. That's right, and yes. and you know what have you put in my mouth? It's it's incredibly you know painful. Because I remember an experiment years and years ago. This was probably shown to me at school, and it was a sixteen mil film that shows you how. Yeah. <laughs> yes, kids. There was anyway. Don't t- ask your mother and your father. Anyway, but it was an X-ray of someone with a banana, and they'd put a ball bearing inside oh. the inside the banana, and then they gave it to this thing. Here, try this, and but there is a thing with the brain. That as soon as that hit the banana, there is a brain stimulus that says, "Stop chewing." Yeah, and and and, and, very, and it's it's sort of like taste. Taste and mm. texture are both really important because they are controlling ingestion. So you hit something that's controlling not ingestion. that's not quite right. All of a sudden, you've got to stop the swallow because. Yeah. That, that's potentially, certainly through evolutionary history, that swallow is potentially fatal if, if you don't have that good reflex to but stop. But you can even go back more than that. Stop stop chewing because you could break your teeth. Yes. Yes. Yep, yep. So it's even... That's, yeah. yeah mo- multiple reasons for the importance of, of texture and taste prior to swallowing, just the sampling of the food. Tell us about textures. How many? What sort of different textures are we talking about here? Ooh, now, now, this is... This is um, this is interesting, and it's got you know this sort of phys- philosophical underpinning as well. Okay, and, and cultural differences and that sort of stuff. Ooh. So, um, in, in English cultural and in Western societies, we've got around about eighty words that that describe textures that uh, you know in, a, in our vocabulary. So that's quite a lot. Eighty. You've quantified uh, these, have you? Uh, others roughly. Have. Yeah. Others. Yeah. Others. Yeah. Have. De- you delegated that one. That's, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But but then if we think about a, a culture like the Japanese, yeah, do you want to try and guess how many words they've got to describe texture? Somehow I'd say it's more. It's it is more. It's like Eskimos disco, uh, describing snow. It's four hundred. No way. Four hundred words. To really? Describe. So if if we think that okay. you know that that this. Um, so we uh, just go. This is crunchy. Oh, look, Japanese. And, <laughs> From from a from a, that's yeah the, the Japanese go well it's this and this and this, this and this, this and this. and and if we're thinking that we need words to be able to describe concepts then there are these big cultural differences in how we can actually explain what we're experiencing cultural and ethno differences uh, yes can I give you an example yep. say so for instance you talk about the Japanese yeah 
and the Japanese love, and Chinese too, like for dessert, bean pastes. Yes. And which for the skippies, it took us a while to get yep. used to that going, yeah, this is great because originally it was sort of like this is a bit weird. Yeah. And, and, and it's not part of their ethno makeup. Learning plays plays obviously a part in this. That that we can experience something as long mm-hmm. as we know there's no um, problems with it post ingestively. We yes. can learn to like as long as we're getting that nutrient feedback. Yes. You know, loop learning like swallowing. Mm. Everything's okay. I like that. You know, so so it develops. Um, uh, over time, so you know, very, very interesting um, uh, little side issue in terms of texture and potentially, you know, this this concept that that there are these differences and and being able to explain what we're experiencing. Who's going to be able to use your? Um, what are you trying? Okay, we've only got a couple of minutes left, so it's it's hard to do a proper conclusion. But what are you actually looking to discover and? Who can benefit from these discoveries or these learnings? So one of the one of the key things we're really in, there's some great research coming out in terms of and, and this obviously makes logical sense as well. Mm. But if you start to modify the texture of foods, maintaining quality, yes. modifying texture that that increases residence time in the mouth. Now we may only be talking, you know, one or two seconds per mastication cycle but nice. but that increase yeah. yes it's yeah got to get that right you go. that yes. increase in terms of residence time in the oral cavity is creating fullness and and obviously when we're talking about you know things like obesity and and the problems of overconsumption yes these really small changes in terms of texture and what we can do to texture of foods can start to have a have a big impact in terms of better health implications exactly so so that's the end point. That, that's mm. where we're going with it. So it's a, it's a really interesting So you're using your powers for good, Russell? Powers for good. Nice. Yes, yes. Well, we should allow you to go to lunch now. That's right. <laughs> where are you going? Yeah. You're going somewhere down Ligon Street? Yeah, Etta. Oh, so so yeah, very very nice meeting, and, and I'll be making sure my mastication time is increased during lunch. <laughs> well, as someone said, um, what is it? Um, is it eat your eat your juice, drink your vegetables? Oh no. Which makes sense. So when you're drinking juice, you should take the time so that it goes down. And then when you eat solid food, you should uh, chew it enough so that it becomes liquid. But uh, Nice. Can you keep us um, – love seeing you. Thank you for coming in. Thanks, Ken. And keep us uh, uh, appraised about what's going on. And is there anything that – are you looking for people, to volunteers to help out? Look, we'd always – You always are, aren't you? Always looking. We've we've got a number of – always got a number of ongoing studies in in the lab. So, yeah, people are interested. So people can apply to Deakin to – if we've got uh, CASS at deacon.edu.au, if you email that email address, then then we can send so, all the information. I want to be a masticating guinea pig. That's right. That's exactly. it. Exactly. Uh, something like that. Uh, it is 12.25. Thank you again. Matt will put that up on the website because I saw you write it down. I did. Yeah, I, so did. I, will. Sc- I scribed it. Russell, Thanks. thank you again. Always a pleasure to see Thanks, you. Thanks, Cam. Thanks, man. Um, a little bit of music, Cam. I heard this on Far and Wide during the week, and I thought, that's cool. Hey. Let's play it. Whoa. John, you're a busy man this morning. Yes, we're breaking in a newbie as well. Oh, God, I feel sorry for him. No, he'll be right. He's a Taiwanese boy. He's only been here a little while. Yeah. Learned English in the Philippines, of all places, but he's performing. You're being nice to him? Oh, always. <laughs> <laughs> That. Thanks, mate. Yeah, yeah that's Thank all right. Thank you. <laughs> he really, he really does love it. <laughs>
Maybe if you have seen in John in action, we call it tough love. Well, it is, because life is tough, but you've got to make the most of it, keep going, do the right thing, everyone's happy. Just keep swimming, as Dory said in... Exactly, exactly. Okay, now I'm going to just say um, one thing. Rain. Yes. Your boys at Werribee would be happy. All over Victoria, mate, all over Victoria, and it's gorgeous. You know, we really needed it. Did it get to East Gippsland? I'm not quite sure. Uh, I believe so. So so we hope so anyway. We got a great rain event which happened. We had 20 mil in the gauge at home. Oh, that's good. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> and as you say so much, the rain that comes from the sky is so much different from, what do you call it? Tank town water. water. Town, town water. water. Town water. It makes things grow. It oxygenates the ground, you know, yeah. and really, yeah. um, it, it's mother's, uh, mother nature's elixir. I'm just looking at this guy to see if he can count. Yeah, he's got it right. All righty. Thank God it was yes, going to get now, nasty. Because you see, yes. when you when you water something with tap water, it grows okay. Mm. But it doesn't look vibrant. And when it rains, it's like something completely different's happened. The Everything perks different. up. Mm. Uh, the, the, the plants look vibrant. Um, you look and you say, beautiful. Like, look at this cauliflower. You know, we had a very, very hot day the other day. And this cauliflower sitting on my bench waiting for me to cut it mm. has got these beautiful, very, very pale leaves covering it up from the sun. Aren't they beautiful? I, they I really I love cauliflower, the way that it, it protects. It's like, a, it's like a mother's embrace. It does, yes. Mm. These are modern varieties. The old varieties, they had to cover them up and put a rubber band around the top. This one, Mother, do- Mother Nature does it by itself. And these beautiful baby leaves are just as tasty, if not tastier, than a cauliflower. Agreed. Okay? There we go. And you can even tempura them. They come up a treat. Oh! That sounds nice. Hadn't thought of that one. Thank you, John. Yeah, you try it, mate. It's amazing. Do you make your own tempura better? Uh, Sometimes. Not often enough, unfortunately. Have you got a ratio? Because I do. Uh, Yeah, you tell me. One to one to one. Okay. So, it, it, but you have to do it. Um, um, if, the best way to do it is if you get ice cubes from the fridge. Yes. Put it in a tea towel. Yes. Smash it with a hammer. Yes. And then get put that in. Yes. Well, yeah, a little bit, and then you just sort of mix it up lightly. Yes. Um, and it works. All right. John's just moving. He's looking across at this new guy. Yes. Yes. He's okay. Yes. He's okay. Oh, thank God. Okay. Um, so yes, we agree. The rain has been wonderful. Yeah, for Now finish the, the ratio. You got your eyes. Oh, one to one to one. Okay. Yeah, but you got to tell people what one to one to. We're not all born learned, you know. No, you're right. You're right. And my mistake. Thank you, John. Uh, one egg. One cup of flour. One cup of um, crushed ice mix that together because everything has to be really really cold yes and, anyway, if, and if you shift your flour it's a little bit better as well yep nothing nothing worse than lumps on your <laughs> tempered vegetables but that's the weird thing you actually do have it it's different from european batter yes because um, the ice really um it's aerates it, it it makes everything cold but it also aerates the um mixture as well i think and also because it's cold it doesn't develop as much gluten that's right. That's it. Yeah. All right. Anyway, broad beans, how much are they? Broad beans, only $5. Um, Still? That's yeah, good. that's a very good price. And this that year it's been price. tragic. I haven't sold a, a quarter of what I sold last year. And they've been lovely. Now, these are um, out of um, Swan Hill again. We had some last week from Ferntree Gully. Mm. They are so vibrant, beautiful, clean skins, nice beans inside. Open them up, easy to deal with. What's the matter? 
I don't know. And every year is different. We all have different fancies, different days. So there you go. It's just not trendy this year. Like I remember a few years ago it was the quince. Yes. <laughs> yes. Anyway, like, well, you need to get into them while they're still around. They take a lot of great flavours. Take fresh mint really well. Yeah, I like to keep mine plain. We either cook them with um, peas or even with the um, your favourite recipe with the artichokes. My favourite recipe. Um, but they're beautiful if you just um, put a salad onion with them and steam them up lightly. All right, I'll do something a little bit crazy. Steamed up lightly, but with a little bit of cumin on top. Cumin yeah. and, and broad beans are rocking. It's amazing how you can get, give it that little bit extra dimension. Mm-hmm. But as I said, I like my plate, and why not? You've got to be different sometimes. Yeah, and sometimes I like to double peel them, but yeah. I don't want to get controversial with you. Okay. Okay. Um, hey, wow, cherries. Cherries, yes. Whoa. Even my mum said yesterday, wow, cherries. And I said, mum, traditionally, 1st of November, Melbourne Cup, there's always cherries around. Yeah. Some years have been kinder. We've had them two weeks before. They've brought them out of New South Wales. I haven't seen where these are from. They are smaller. You've got to understand it's an early crop. Yeah. Um, they've taken them off the plant to give the plant more stamina. Yeah. Uh, in a week or two, you'll have the giant, beautiful, big, juicy black cherries. Except it's just rained around the Sylvan area. Yeah, but I don't think it was torrential. When it's no, torrential, yeah, okay. that's, that's a problem. And it's wind and rain, yes, too. This yes, was yes. a gentle... Okay, yes. so fingers crossed are there. Yeah. yeah. So um, I've eaten some mangoes now. Oh, we've eaten a box a week already, yep, no. you know, so later on I don't know what we'll do because, um, you know, we're getting into them already and it's a good thing. Um, you know, tonight I think we're going to have a big plate of pasta and then we're going to have mango and ice cream as a treat. Hey, what pasta? And, uh, probably penne tonight because we haven't had them for a while. With? with a red. Made with a ragu, yes, with yeah, a sauce. Any meat in there? Oh, definitely. Oh, okay. um, on, a, on, yeah, nice pork. Sometimes we use the pork skin and pork bones or beef ribs or whatever. Do you ever use guanjali? Oh, it's too good for the sauce, but yeah, yeah. See, okay. we, with the guanjali, it's a pork trick. Now, we dry that and it dries quicker than a normal bacon, so that's our treat. Lovely, okay. Yeah. And when it's nearly dry, it's beautiful to throw on top of a fire. Plenty of flame melt the fat out of it, burn a little bit of the skin on the back, mm. and it's to die for, and it never makes it into the sauce. But, yeah, it's a good thing because okay. it's the sweetest part of the pork. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, now, you stand in the middle of the Tomato City, as you've probably seen on our Instagram. We've got about 15, 16 varieties today. What's your Instagram? Uh, Tomato City at QVM. There you go. Um, you know, people have been hitting and having all the beautiful photos. Actually, Joseph posted one of Dad with a pasta. You know, you remember the... The big pasta I showed you, the photo, kilo, 300 grams. Yes. This is a lucky country. That pasta went to a good home. Yeah. They said it was so sweet and young. You know, when it's right, it's right like anything. Yeah. You know, when it's in season. Oh, it's so, when things go to a good home. Yes, yes. Um, um, get out and have a look at the tomatoes. People are having a, a medley um, salad. Yep. My capsicums went for a walk then. They just went, tried to commit um, suicide. I had uh, mini romas on the truss and a lot fell off because of the heat. We took them home and we had um, bacon, eggs and tomatoes. It was unbelievable. The sugar that comes out of them. And, um, you know, people making beautiful dishes with them, eating the stuffing artichokes and sitting tomatoes on top Mm. just for that little bit of colour and flavour. Um, yeah, pick of the market? I think so, because it's got to be short. We're busy. Mm. Uh, pick of the market, well, we're all eating salad, so we've got beautiful salad mixes and 
spinach and rocket, which we never talk about, which is bad. Um, so they're all at their peak as well. They're, they're picked and, and we get them every day, so they're nice and fresh. Make a beautiful salad with fennel and tomato. Um, we had a couple of old blood oranges on the counter and Joseph oh, asked go, his yeah. mum to have blood orange and um, fennel, but unfortunately the blood oranges are no longer around, so we were lucky. Uh, blood yeah. orange, fennel and radicchio, great. Yeah, a little bit of salad onion. That's what yeah. I want to ask, talk to you about. What? We've got beautiful white round globe salad onions from Bendigo. Yes. They make a brilliant salad. And we've got the flat whites that come out of... Um, uh, past Cranbourne Way there. They're a flatter variety. They look yeah. like a flying saucer. Yes. They're a softer, sweeter onion. Yes. Make a beautiful salad. Very good to steam with broad beans and um, peas and, and other things. And stuff, yeah. As usual, what do we say? There's an abundance of fr- fruit. There's an abundance of vegetables. Get around. See what you like the most. Decide in the market what you need to cook for the week. Don't make a list. It's no, boring. No, it is boring. It Unless is. you're baking, then you need a, a list. The pawpaws over there look pretty good too. Yeah, there's big green ones and there's ripe yeah. ones. You know, you can make a pawpaw salad with those as well. Yeah. I still haven't done it, but I'm lucky I asked Rose and she'll make a little bit and bring it to me. Um, Rose, who used to work for you, is yeah, across the Yeah, she works across the road. Yes, yes, yes. It's, it's hard. When you're in a market, it's hard to leave the market. It gets into your blood. Yes. Um, yeah, what else? I think that's it. You know, like I said, everything's at its peak. Mm. everything's fresh even with the heat we looked after the fruit we looked after the vegetables yeah can't go wrong what sort of ice cream are you putting with your mangoes uh, maybe we'll keep it simple vanilla yeah, yeah. keep it simple it's got to be vanilla and we'll mash it all up and streets blue ribbon maybe Maybe I don't know. It depends on what the manager's bought. I don't oh, know. Yeah, okay. I, I eat not what I'm giving. Department. You know, not my department. I'm, I'm a connoisseur. I'll eat anything nearly. Yeah, good. As long as it's fresh and <laughs> it's good right, and, and right. it's cooked properly, you and you use it. the right ingredients and you cook it for the right amount of time, and so you don't put the finger up and go, "What are you doing this?" Well, for? the proofs in the pudding, as you can see, we're <laughs> all a little bit rounded. It's it's very very good. Oh well, it's a, it's a good time to go into that. Um, John, thank you very very much. Enjoy your your penne tonight. Thank you very, very much. And, uh, yeah, people, get some broad beans before they all go out because uh, there's only a few more weeks. Definitely, because once they get the heat, they don't like it. No. Uh, there are no more flowers, just fruit on the vines. Yeah. A lot of the backyards are kicking in now, so if you've got a neighbour that's got some, say, hey, guys, what about a handful? Come on. Great advice, as always. Thank you, John. Thank you. I hope we don't see you streaking across the race course, mate. <laughs> What a horrible thought. <laughs> yeah, horrible, all right. <laughs> See you guys. Have a lovely day. Good to know. <laughs> Good to know. Money that was Mark. Money Mark. Uh, keyboardist for the Beastie Boys. Uh, great album from a while ago. Long time ago now. Long, long time ago. Mark's now. Keyboard Repair, I think and it's it called. Was, it was because of our guest that I was able to drag this out, even if it's yes. not a song about bees. And we welcome to uh, the uh, the phones, or the, the airwaves, I should say, Jodie Goldsworthy from Beechworth Honey. In fact, she is Beechworth Honey. <laughs> Jodie, hello. Hello. How are you going, Cam? Oh, delighted that we were able to speak to you. As I, um, uh, when we had a conversation a while ago, I was saying, our focus here at the radio station has been about urban honey for way too long now, and we thought... We really need to get out there in the bush and find out where uh, the honey comes from and what better company to talk about this than a beautiful fourth-generation family-owned company like Beechworth Honey. 
Yeah, great. Happy to um, have a chat today. Here you are. Okay, here's my first question, hard-hitting, is when did the shape of the beehive change? Because I remember growing up and seeing Bugs Bunny cartoons or things and there was the uh, iconography of the design. It was a beehive was beehive-shaped. What was that beehive made of and why did it change and what have we got now? Yeah, so we've, we mostly work with what's called the Langstroth hive these uh, days, the which is like square box, yes. um, and the old kind of round, very cute basket style sort of hive um, really originated probably in, um, well, in, in Europe yes. and, still, and still can be found in certain spots in Europe today. We had a little trip to Romania and, um, and they're still um, using them in countries like that. But they mostly used those hives when they didn't need to move them around. Oh. And so when, um, when beehives needed to be sort of moved from one location to another to follow the flowers, um, it was much, much easier to actually do it in a square box that could be stacked and packed much more um, neatly, obviously. And also the removable frames as well it was a you know huge difference from the old, um, that's the, the old the basket great, style ones. That's the great thing about the... Is it the Lingstrom, did you say? Uh, Langstrom. Ah, oh, the Langstrom. See named. here, I'm trying to say that I'm, I'm with the lingo. But the thing <laughs> that, that is great is that you do. You have these frames that you're able to just take out, remove, harvest um, when the time is right. Um, uh, one more question. I, I promise we will move on. So, what was on the inside of those hives? It, so it's made. Out, so it was the, made out of a basket, and did they yeah, just freestyle so it inside? They, they pretty much did. Yeah, they pretty much did. They just allowed the bees to um, build their own honeycomb and it was all sort of uh, wonky and mm. um, not, not nice and straight and certainly much harder to, um, you know, to actually remove the honey from than the frames. I mean, basically when you remove the honey out of those hives, you had to destroy the honeycomb and everything and let them re, uh, rebuild it. So it's a much more efficient system what we uh, what we have today. And less intrusive on the bees themselves, by sound of it. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So your gig, if I may just sort of generalise, is your blossom chasers. We are, absolutely. We are blossom chasers. So we spend a lot of the time, I, I was laughed because I grew up um, as, a, as a little girl. We used to always say, you know, Dad spent most of his life with his um, eyes looking up the trees, not on the road. So how we survived childhood, <laughs> right. I'm not quite sure. But, um, <laughs> you know, <It's> okay. <laughs> every so often I have to say to Stephen, you know, keep your eyes on the road, not on the trees. So, yeah. Um, Dad, yeah, semi-trailer, absolutely. semi-trailer. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we we really look, I mean, beekeeping is both an art and a science and, um, you know, part of the, the DNA of a beekeeper is also that of a, of a botanist. So mm. always looking looking at what, um, what the signals are from the actual trees themselves. And first you have to know um, what type um, of trees. And in Australia we are very different from, um, from other countries in that you know, more than probably more than seventy to eighty percent of our honey actually comes from from eucalypt trees. Gum trees but in Australia, yes. yeah, there's there's over seven hundred and eighty different species of um, eucalypts across this vast sort of land. And normally, a beekeeper would work, um, you know, probably our bees work a six hundred kilometre radius from Beechworth, and um, 
watch, you know, just basically watching the trees and watching what's happening, you know, watching weather events and rain events like we've just had and then looking for little signals of the trees growing. Normally the tree will grow before it actually puts on buds and then often it will hold those, depending on the type of tree, but it will hold those buds for anywhere up to two years before it actually flowers. And so you have to know what, um, you know, what is normal for that particular tree and be you know, watching, uh, ready to take your bees back when the actual flower comes out. So there's a lot of, lot of observation that we make before we, um, you know, get anywhere near uh, a tree with a beehive. And getting, getting the hives out. What's, um, what's happening at the moment? It's springtime. There's blossom everywhere. Uh, where are the hives at the moment? Yeah, so we've got, um, I mean, it's it's a pretty ordinary year for a lot of the beekeepers across Australia. Victoria's not going too badly, um, but New South Wales and Queensland, are certainly um, it's pretty difficult for them with drought and, and dry and lack of rain, of course. So there's a lot of, a lot of beehives actually, um, you know, situated in Victoria at the moment. Probably some of the northern beekeepers are actually having to travel further than they normally with, would. Um, so there's... There's some uh, nice yellow gum that's flowering around central Victoria and um, a few things like that. And we're just, you know, hoping and waiting. There might be a little bit of red gum on some of the rivers and things um, in the coming months. But mostly at this time of the year in the springtime, that's when we do our pollination work. So that's when we take the hives into some of the orchards, which absolutely rely uh, on bees. Otherwise, the, they wouldn't get... Um, a set of fruit um, for that particular crop. So things like almonds, um, we've been to apples, um, bees are just coming out of the apple orchards for us now and ready to go into kiwi fruit um, pollination next. Okay, I didn't know kiwi fruit knew that. This is the thing that is the importance of, um, of these insects that, that we collaborate with or actually they probably help us but something amazing happened um must have been last year in the fact that um you were able to produce a honey which um i think someone said that you had never seen it was a sort of a once in a generation honey that happened you want to speak a little bit about that yeah, we normally, um, look, my family have been taking bees to almond pollination for really as long as I can kind of remember and um, we never normally get any um, any nectar from, uh, from almonds. Normally it's just the pollen that the bees are there and spreading around and they're, bees They're doing pollen, their, their duty, pollen. aren't they? They are, yeah, yeah. But, but they're helping themselves as well. It's a, it's a beautiful sort of symbiotic relationship the, the bee and the and the plant um, because bees in the springtime need um, pollen because that's their protein protein source and that's what stimulates the beehive to breed again so after the winter when the, the there's a small number of bees left in the in the um, in the hive it needs to expand the population needs to expand again and it's that um, pollen protein source which actually stimulates the hive into into breeding so yeah last year we had um, a little bit of nectar produced from um, almonds as well and uh, released that as one of our limited release um, honey is something that we just um, you know hadn't hadn't seen before so quite quite interesting and you know occasionally those sorts of things happen there's something different happening with the weather I mean, we don't have to say that we know there's lots different happening with the weather but we're certainly noticing noticing a lot of um, things that are different with the flowering cycles of the um, of the eucalypts in particular and uh, you know even the 
the apples um, and the almonds were just earlier this year than um, than they would traditionally be. And again, you know, very much all to do with our changing climate. And you're right at the very, very front line of it. Uh, the, one of the things that I love about uh, Beechworth Honey and what you do, first of all, fourth-generation family-owned company, which I think is great, um, but it is just the, the enormous difference in the amount of honeys that you have. Is it, uh, is it over 40 honeys? Yeah, yeah, we do. We have, um, we have a big collection, depending on what's coming through from the hives. And uh, I guess that's just part of our passion is to share and showcase that diversity of honey. We don't get the opportunity to put all of those out in supermarkets or out in the mainstream market, but in our own stores we can um, we can give people the opportunity to taste those and it's interesting. Often people will say, oh, you know, I didn't think I liked honey, but... You'll find I, a flavour profile found you love. one that I liked, yeah. And, and it's sort of like, I know it's like picking your favourite child. Oh, Matt's <laughs> laughing, he's going, yeah, obvious. <laughs> Go, Captain, obvious. Um <laughs> Stop laughing, Matt. Um, what's your, what's your favourite honey? Uh, I've got a collection of favourites that I work through. Um, I love Green Mallee, which is produced in New South Wales. Mm. I love um, Hillgum, which is produced around Beechworth. And the, the types of honeys that I like are sort of mid-flavour, um, fruity sort of flavoured honeys. Uh, I love Coolabar. Always think of um, our... You know, unofficial nas- national al- um, song when I think of Coolabar honey. And, um, is this I've about the wine others, cask, Jody? It is. Where are you, you going to hide your Coolabar? Okay, <laughs> I, just, I just thought I'd check. So, yeah, and what does Coolabar taste like? What, what's it's Coolabar's uh, sort of a mid flavour honey. It's a bright, uh, clear sort of honey hmm. and it's just a warm sort of buttery buttery flavor oh that sounds nice so good good yeah. on a crumpet or something yeah, like that yeah yeah I've, um and one of the things coming into your block arcade shop that i've um seen because um i've been able to taste honeys over some time and i recommend anybody to come and do that and especially to bring kids because it's a great way to develop their palates but the messmate honey which is one that tastes like hazelnuts is one yeah, of my faves. Is it? Yeah. So it's a bolder flavoured honey mm. produced in the um, more in the higher altitude mountain sort of areas, and um, stronger stronger flavour. It'll give you a bit of a warm a warm sensation at the back of your throat when you've um, when you've consumed that one. And this is the thing that. For a lot of people, they just think honey is just this sweet stuff to sort of throw in a cup of tea or whatever, and it's just, you know, it's a bit like sucrose, but, you know, made by insects. But the kaleidoscope from something like a clover honey to the insane butchness of, say, banksia or buckwheat is extraordinary. It it is quite extraordinary. And I I think it's one of those products that hasn't fully been discovered, some of the amazing properties and characteristics of our of our honeys what what we know about australian honey is that it's darker in color and more than viscous. a lot of the honeys and and thicker exactly yeah, yeah. and um, that that tends to also be related to the the soil and uh, the 
the climate that it's produced in, obviously. But just, you know, reading recently, the darker the honey, the higher the level of the naturally occurring trace elements and, um, and minerals, go. which I think is fascinating. Jodie, we've got about 30 seconds left. I just thought I'd give you a chance to talk about... Uh, uh, neonicotinoid um, in insecticides. Should we be using them? Look, definitely they're very harmful to bees. There's no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, what we really need to be doing is working to eliminate them. Eliminate. Some great work. Yeah. There you go. Great Do- work happening in Europe. <laughs> I, I think we need to be doing that. Jodie, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if people want to come up to Beechworth to uh, visit, it's amazing. Block Arcade, they can do a, a honey tasting for free. And thank you very, very much for joining us. Thanks so much. Have a great day. Bye. There we go. Uh, that was Jody Goldsworthy. It's yeah. one o'clock. We need to go because Neil's ready. Yeah, still here. Yes, up he next. is up next. He's up in Studio 3, so yeah. all is well and proper with the world, which is kind of nice. Next week, Tony Eldred. El Dredo. Uh, hospitality industry. He's coming in. He's going to talk about, uh, well, failing uh, the fact that there is uh, no new, new wage controversy, wage mm. theft. Yes. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, restaurant acoustics. Yes. Better go. See you next week. Bye. Thanks, man. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website. 